0: One of the greatest parts about working at BYU Broadcasting is all of the really wonderful people that we work with and the great podcast and content, great audio content that is constantly being created. So we wanted to introduce you to one in particular. Sam Payne from The Appleseed is here to tell us a little bit about The Appleseed.
1: I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> and I'll tell you, The scene is such a fun show to work on. You know, it's it's all about the notion that uh, stories, and by stories I'm talking about tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales and certainly personal and family tales and historical tales, that stories can help us find our way through, right? Stories can help us find our way through the things that we face. And they can also kind of give us... The language that we need to talk about things with each other. Absolutely,
0: right? especially in families.
1: Yeah. Have you ever sat down around the dinner table and wanted to address something and you didn't know how to do it? You know, it, a, a story can kind of give you some of the tools to do that. And and again, we're talking about stories of of all kinds. And so on the Appleseed, we produce all kinds of stories. Sometimes it's as simple as somebody standing up in front of a microphone and telling a story, and at other times it's kind of you know. Fully produced radio dramas cooked up in our secret Appleseed lab,
0: which is so <laughs> fun to do. Now, I have worked as a, a voice actor for you know lots of different projects yeah. and stuff. I love being a voice actor on the Appleseed because you guys get it. And it's so fun to have characters, to do the voices. It reminds me of when I was a little girl and my mom would read out loud to me. And I don't think any of us outgrow that desire to have somebody just read us a story. Yeah, yeah. we we. Th-
1: We think we outgrow it. Right. And then we kind of, and then when we fall back into it a little bit, we think, oh, good heavens, this is really pretty wonderful.
0: Now, we have handpicked an episode that we feel like is a really great introduction to the Appleseed so that you can listen and imagine. You can listen with your family or by yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you chose and why
1: why it's important. You're going to hear a wonderful performance recorded live in the Appleseed studio from a terrific storyteller named Charlotte Blake Alston, a wonderful storyteller and musician. And she's going to tell a story about a young girl on an adventure. It's an old tale full of monsters and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's sort of the centerpiece of an episode of The Appleseed that's all about it, 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 it features stories. Essentially about being in over your head.
2: <laughs> Can anybody so basically relate to
1: that? For everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. That's right. And and the, the the radio drama piece in which you play so prominent a role, and we're super, super <laughs> excited about that, is well, get this. It's about uh it's about a clan of squirrels <laughs> who live in a zoo and it's a quest story right in which sort of the kind of the you know the, the the central character who is this squirrel named sam has to get over all kinds of fears and has to sort of engage in this adventure this uh, I, I should probably not say more about I it know, it's just it's so this, exciting. yeah it's just and of course you play the narrator of that uh uh, uh, uh who is an orangutan
0: yes <laughs> yes i am that's a dream role. Yeah. Yes. That's right. I always <laughs> wanted to be a redhead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Gingers have more fun. So it's a fact. Yeah.
1: So, so again, that hour of the apple seat is filled with stories yeah. about being in over your head. You know, and 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 we'll we'll sometimes pick a theme for an episode and fill an hour with stories about, oh, I don't know, staying connected to an important place, or fill an hour with stories about being brave, you know. Uh, it, it's really a fun
0: show to work on. It's a wonderful show. I've been a big fan for a long time and just honored that I could show up in this particular episode.
1: <laughs> the honor was ours, certainly.
0: Champagne from the Appleseed.
3: I loved the taste of our gummy vitamins. So I decided I'd have more. So I felt like a real person, and it was great.
1: Which I was pretty excited about, you know, being five.
4: Oh, it scared me.
1: Welcome to the Appleseed Studio. I'm Sam Payne, your host. And The Appleseed is an hour filled with stories for you and your family. Original radio dramas cooked up in our secret lab, performances recorded right here in The Appleseed Studio from some of our favorite storytellers, and the memories and thoughts spark for us when we hear those stories. On The Appleseed, we believe that great stories can change your world. And today, we've got some great tales for you. You know, sometimes you embark on an adventure of one kind or another, thinking it's going to be hard, and then when you get down into it, it winds up being harder than you ever imagined. You're in way over your head, but somehow you get through it and you find yourself a little bruised, but wiser on the other side. And we've got stories like that for you today, including an old monster tale from a terrific storyteller and musician, Charlotte Blake Alston.
5: And she took a chunk of meat, tossed it out onto the water, and called out, "Nana who shines in the night They say that it is only right for my brothers to become men. They must have shields and clothes made from your shining skin.
1: Ed we'll bring you an original radio drama about a squirrel who lives in the zoo and gets thrust into an adventure when a squirrel clan treasure goes missing. <laughs>
3: Where are we, anyway?
1: We're
6: right above the lion's
1: den.
3: Lions? Are you crazy?
1: There's no way you'll want to miss a single word, and we're going to begin with this "in over one's head" tale from Charlotte Blake Alston. Our terrific live audience is waiting. Let's join the Minneapolis Seed Performance Studio.
5: Thank you, Sam. Thank you, everyone. <clears throat> This story comes from the Basoto people of the country of Lesotho. It's a female central character. Some years ago, I spent some time trying to mine stories that had female central characters in them. In a long ago time, in a far away place, there lived three orphaned children. The oldest was named Takane. When her youngest brother inhaled his first breath of life, their mother exhaled her last, closed her eyes, did not wake up again, and joined the ancestors. Their father, who had been the chief of that village, was so weighted down with grief and with sorrow and loss that only two months later, he lay down, closed his eyes, did not wake up again, and joined his wife in the land of the ancestors. That left Takani to take care of her brothers. So she was not only their sister, she became their mother and their father. Everything a mother or father would do for their children, Takani did for her brothers. She planted a garden in the back so there would always be something growing that they could eat. She would do chores around the village so she could get money to go to the marketplace and buy additional things that they needed. She would go and draw water from the stream, boil it over fire so that when they drank it, it did not make them sick. She worked extra hard in her village and other villages besides to earn enough money to buy school uniforms and supplies so her brothers could attend the village school because they could not go without those things. Everything a mother or father would do for their children, Takane did for her brothers. Until the time came when they reached that age when the men of the village take all of the boys away from the village and teach them the ways of men. Yes, they learn to hunt, they learn to fish, but they also learn what it means to be a husband, a father, and to have the well-being of the village in their hands. They stay with the men anywhere from five weeks to five months, learning the ways of men. The last week, the boys are taken to what are known as loosening huts, and during that week, The mothers go to the marketplace and buy the finest of fabrics and begin to sew clothing for their sons to re-enter the village as men. Not the clothing of boys, but the clothing of men. The fathers make shields for their sons to carry with them when they re-enter the village. Takani did the same as the mothers and as the fathers were doing. She worked extra hard every single day and she earned enough money to buy the finest fabrics in the marketplace and buy the material she would need to make the shields. And she began to sew her brother's loosening clothes for them, put them in a large basket with the shield, left her village, walked through the forest, up the mountain trails, came to the place where the loosening huts were, found the one where her brothers were and tapped on the door. Her oldest brother opened the door. "'My brothers,' she said, "'I have made your loosening clothes and shields for you.' The older brother reached into the basket and lifted out the clothes and said, "'Takane, we cannot wear these.' She says, "'What do you mean? I I made these with my own hands, just as the other mothers.' "'Yes, Takane, but we are the sons of a chief. We must re-enter the village, the sons of a chief, men wearing clothing and carrying shields made from the skins of the nanabolele. The, no, no! The terrible creatures who live below the dark. Well, how was anyone to do that? He said, "If our father was alive, this is what he would do. This is how it must be." Takani, she said, "I have done everything for you since our parents died. I have brought you right to the brink of manhood. It is time for you to do such things for yourself." That's just it, sister. You have only brought us to the brink of manhood. In order for us to cross that threshold, we must re-enter the village, the sons of a chief, wearing clothing and carrying shields, made from the skins of the nanobolele. This is how it must be, Takane. And he shut the door. Takane took the basket, left the loosening huts, walked back down the mountain trail, through the forest, back to her village, sat down beside her hut. She picked up a clay pot and a spoon and began to tap on it. And she began to tap louder and louder, and people began to come out of their huts. She said, what are you doing? My brothers, she said, they say that the loosening clothes and shields I have made for them are not good enough, that because they are the sons of a chief, they must have clothing and shields made from the skins of the lele." The terrible creatures who live below the dark waters? Well, How are you to do that? You are just a girl. All they had heard about these creatures were stories that they lived below the dark waters, whatever that meant, and they had skin that shined like all the stars in the sky. Takani said, I was tapping to see if anyone would be brave enough to go with me since my brother said this is how it must be. Oh, some of them turned their heads down towards the ground and began to take steps back away from Takane. But one woman stepped forward and said, Takane, if you are brave enough to do this, I will go with you. And one by one, others began to step forward. The women cooked food for them to prepare on their journey to eat, but also to use as an offering to the Nanabolele. They packed them onto two oxen, left the village and began to walk all through the night. And early in the morning, they came to a broad, broad stream. Could this be the dwelling place of the Nanabolele? Takane. Took a chunk of meat, tossed it out onto the water, and called out, Nanabulele, who shines in the night? They say that it is only right for my brothers to become men. They must have shields and clothes made from your shining skin. and the water began to bubble and churn, and they prepared to look upon the terrible faces of the creatures when up above the surface of the water there appeared a big bullfrog. It looked directly at Takani and spoke. Go further. Go further. Takani remembered her mother's teachings, that if she should encounter a strange spirit, she should listen with her heart to see if it meant her harm. And if it did not, she could do as it said. She listened with her heart It meant no harm, so they left that first broad stream and they continued to walk all through the second night and early in the morning they came to a second broad stream. Could this be the dwelling place of Ananabolele? Again, she took a chunk of meat, tossed it out onto the water, and called out, Nana who shines in the night? They say that it is only right for my brothers to become men. They must have shields and clothes made from your shining skin. Nana and the water began to bubble and churn, and one of the men picked up a spear and prepared to defend against the terrible creatures. When up above the surface of the water, there appeared a bigger bullfrog. (laughs) And just as the first, it looked directly at Takani and spoke. Go further. Go further. And as with the first, she listened with her heart. It meant her no harm. So they left that second broad stream and began to walk all through the third night. And early in the morning, they came to a wide, wide lake with water so still and so clear. She had to touch it to make sure that it was real. Could this be the dwelling place of the Nanabulele? Takane took part of a chicken, tossed it out onto the water, and called out, Nanabulele, who shines in the night? They say that it is only right. For my brothers to become men, they must have shields and clothes made from your shining skin. (laughs) But the lake water stayed still. She took an entire chicken, tossed it out onto the water, called out again, Nanabulele, who shines in the night? They say that it is only right for my brothers to become men. They must have shields and clothes made from your shining skin. Nanabulele, the water began to ripple and bubble and churn, and they prepared to look up against, uh, upon the terrible faces of the creatures when up above the surface of the water there appeared... An old woman. She had a walking stick. She pointed it at Takane and motioned for her to follow. And then she disappeared down below the surface of the water. Takane stepped out onto the clear, still lake and began to descend down, 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 all the way down to the bottom where it was dry. There were huts everywhere, a village. Down below the waters? How could this be? And then she noticed there were huts, but there were no people. Old woman, she said, how is it there can be a village here with no people? Oh, said the old woman, the nanobolele, they ate them all, the men, the women, the children, the chicken, the cattle, everything, gone, 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 gone. <laughs> but what of you, old woman? Oh! Too old and tasteless, I guess. (laughs) Too tough to chew. (laughs) They left me alive to take care of them. I heard your words, young woman. You are very brave. And Takani told the old woman why she had come. Oh, she said, the only way that you can get the skin of the nanobulele is to wait until they have eaten and fallen into a deep, deep sleep. Nothing can wake them up then you can remove the skin they will not feel a thing but right now I must hide you because they will be coming soon and she began to hide Takami and her party and pushed against the mud and reeds and mud and reeds and when she packed in the last bit of mud shum-ha, shum-ha, the creatures began to enter the water from above St. Kokankai I smell people oh said the
4: old woman it is only the food I have prepared for you come eat, eat, eat,
5: eat And eat they did noisily and sloppily. And when their bellies were full, as the old woman said, they fell into a deep, deep sleep. The old woman began to remove the reeds and the mud. Now, she said, you can choose the one that you want. Takani looked from one to the other. It was just like the stories that she had heard. Their skin was shining like all the stars in the sky. She chose the largest one. She got a knife and began to remove the skin. And as the old woman said, it did not stir. She put the skin into a basket. Now, said the old woman, you must go quickly, because when they wake up, they will see that you have skinned one of them. They will follow you. (laughs) Take with you this ironstone pebble. When you see the red dust clouds getting closer, you throw it down. It will begin to grow and protect you. Now go quickly, quickly, quickly. And they left the old woman all the rest of the food that they had, and they began to ascend higher and higher until they reached the top of the clear still lake, and it was dark, but they did not wait for light. They began to run and run and run, and early in the morning when the sun was beginning to rise above the mountains, they looked back and she could see the red dust clouds getting closer. She threw down the pebble, and as the old woman said, it began to grow. When it got to her knees, they got on it. It grew to a mountain, just as Ananabalele reached it. They ran around and around and jumped and pawed and wore themselves out, trying to get to Takana And her party and fell into a deep deep sleep and as soon as they did the mountain began to shrink smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until once again it was just an ironstone pebble and she picked it up and they continued to run and run and run through the night and early in the morning when the sun was beginning to rise above the mountains again she looked back and she saw the red dust clouds getting closer again she threw down the pebble it began to grow when it got to her knees that got on it it grew to a mountain just as the nun reached it they ran around and around and jumped and pawed and wore themselves out trying to get to Takani and her party and fell once again into a deep, deep sleep and as soon as they did the mountain began to shrink smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until once again it was just an ironstone pebble and she picked it up and they continued to run all through the night and early in the morning when the sun was beginning to rise above the mountain she could see the fires from her village she could smell the food cooking, she began to shout and shout, the people turned they saw the red dust clouds, they sent their dogs after lele. they chased them all the way back to the first broad stream, all the way back to the second broad stream, all all the way back to the clear still lake, all the way to the bottom, where the old woman still takes care of them. Takane took the skins to the one person who knew how to sew them into clothes and shields. And when her brothers re-entered the village, the sons of a chief re-entering as men, Wearing clothes and carrying shields made from the skins of the nanobolele. The people went down on their knees. That was the last thing Takane's brothers ever asked her to do for them. They built her her own hut, gave her 100 head of cattle, and she lived her days in peace and in happiness. And that is how it should be.
1: (laughs) Takane the Brave from Charlotte Blake Alston. An old tale about a girl who finds herself in way over her head and gets through it all triumphant with a little magical help. In a moment, we'll gather around the desk for some talkback about Charlotte's story. I'm Sam Payne. (laughs) just had an opportunity to listen to Charlotte Blake Alston, the wonderful storyteller and musician, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio with our studio audience telling the story of Takane the Brave. It's a favorite of mine, and I had an opportunity, of course, to listen to it, not just with our studio audience, but with our producers, Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. They're joining me behind the desk now for just a little talkback. Hey, guys. It's great to have you with me. Hello. Hey, it's great to be here. (laughs) Fun to be in the performance studio to hear mm-hmm. Charlotte Blake Alston. Uh, again, I, I kind of love that story. Uh, Brian, where'd that story take you? <laughs> well, it reminded me of times in my life
2: when, uh, you know how she, she gets there and she's just like, okay, I made it. And then yeah. the old lady's like... Oh, but there's even more peril after you've if you've encountered the monster. Just you know, when you your, thought you had won the day by mm-hmm. skinning the nanabulele,
1: right? Yes, exactly. Then, that's, then the, the peril <laughs> is only beginning.
2: Then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it reminds me of a rafting trip I took when I was a kid, <laughs> and there was a stretch with one of the most dangerous rapids in in Colorado or something. Yeah. They were telling us, but they were saying. The, there is just after that, right after that, there's a rapid that's actually many degrees smaller, mm-hmm. but it's more dangerous. More people have died there because you're focusing all of your energy on just getting through that big rapid that you forget— Oh, there's something after this that I also need to be prepared for. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so I was really glad to have had that information ahead of time so we could know, like, okay, don't, don't slack, don't forget the gold, like just because we got through the big one, yeah. you have to make it through the second
1: rapid as well. Yeah. I I've experienced that. You know, mm-hmm. you you audition for a role or you try out for a team and you see your name on the list and you think, I did it. Yeah. I, right. That's the triumph, mm-hmm. right? And then you got to do the work. The other thing I thought of when I when I listened to this story was the stone given to her by the by the elder. Right. right. Uh, we are so often helped along our way.
0: Well, and I
4: like the tools that we're given. Often for us, aren't actual t- like physical
6: yeah. uh,
0: manipulatives, but they are in fact pieces of advice.
5: Sure.
0: Which we may not actually follow. Um, a friend of mine once said. Never marry a poet. And I remind her of that because I did, in fact, marry a poet. Because you married a poet. Yep. I'm like, I love the day you told me this wise thing, um, which I disregarded, and uh, meet my husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I got to admit, one of the things I liked about Charlotte's story was the monsters. And even though I've been in over my head plenty of times, I don't have a real story about monsters from my own life, so I made one up. It's kind of a ghosty story, and it's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal.
7: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
1: When my brother Joe and I were kids, we lived in a hundred-year-old house on the edge of a horse pasture. And at the other end of the horse pasture, a couple of hundred yards down the road we lived on, there was a tiny wooden cabin. It had been abandoned for many, many years. We could see it from our front porch. We passed it every day as we went to school, that little abandoned cabin. It was part of the background of every day of my whole childhood life. Its doors and windows were long gone, and every time any of us passed the old cabin, we kept our eyes on the yawning holes where the windows and doors had been, and the hair on the back of our necks stood up a little bit as we walked by. That's the way it was every day. At one point or another, someone boarded up the empty doorway and window frames, and though the hair on our necks ceased for a while to prickle as we walked by that silent place, all closed up now, a rumor grew up that on certain autumn nights, sounds could be heard as people passed the old cabin, especially at night. Some people described a snuffling, scuffling sound like a big animal was rooting around in the weeds and the dirt that surrounded the foundation of the old building. Some people described a whining sound, sometimes low and sometimes high, a kind of wailing on the autumn wind. And some people described the sound of a child crying. And of course, there were people who dismissed all of that. They talked about skunks or raccoons and their nighttime rambling, shuffling about, making noise. We kids had never seen a skunk or a raccoon around the old cabin, and we passed it every day. The rumors suggested that there was maybe something, maybe mysterious, maybe haunting that place. And I know that a lot of kids the age that I was back then would have done what we did because they want to be scared, because they want to feel the shivers, because they delighted in frightening themselves and each other. Maybe you're like that. I don't know, and I don't know exactly how it was for my brother Joe, but for me, it wasn't like that. I didn't know if there were ghosts or not. But if there were, I didn't know if I could be brave enough to survive in a fight between me and a ghost. But I wanted to be brave enough. That's what I wanted to know about myself. And that's why, late on an October night, my brother and I stood on the road at the edge of the yard of the boarded-up cabin. We had come home from school on Wednesday night, fall break started on Thursday, so there was no school the next day. And we knew we could manage a late night. Still, we'd said good night to our folks, and we'd climbed into our beds and we'd waited until the wee hours, and then we had crept back out of our beds and down the stairs, and incredibly, we hadn't awakened a single soul in our house as we slipped out the door and away. And there we stood my brother and me. We took a breath and we stepped off the safety of the road and stepped into the weeds that stood high in the yard of that old place. They brushed against our legs, those weeds, like a soft wind as we walked toward the house. We were gonna get to the porch and sit for a while, sit for a while and listen, sit for a while and listen beneath the harvest moon. That was our only plan. It took only a moment to get to the porch, We climbed the ancient wooden step. It creaked under our feet. We could handle the creak. We were about to turn around and sit on the porch with the dark house at our backs. We could handle the dark house at our backs. My brother Joe had brought a wooden baseball bat and somehow the bat made us feel brave. And so once on the porch, we turned around to sit down and we both froze. We couldn't move, we couldn't breathe, because there, the light of the moon on its back, silent between us and the road, was an enormous silver dog. It stared quietly at us, and then we heard it whine, a low, long whine that rose in pitch and in volume and then faded away again. My brother held the baseball bat, His knuckles were white, and his hands shook. The dog moved, and we both jumped, but it didn't move toward us. It paced back and forth in the space in front of the cabin. And as it moved, we saw that it didn't disturb the weeds at all. They remained still as the dog walked among them. No sound of the weeds brushing the fur of its silver sides. The dog put its nose to the ground. "'snuffling as it paced back and forth a few times, "'and then it stopped right in front of us "'and raised its head again and stared at us. "'We had not breathed. "'The dog looked at us for a long moment, "'its eyes white in the moonlight.' And then it ran toward us. My brother and I both screamed. We scrambled to our feet, backing ourselves against the sheet of plywood that covered the doorway of the old cabin. My brother turned toward the cabin and swung at the wood with the baseball bat. I mean, I guess somehow he thought that if we could get inside the old cabin, we could, I don't know, prop the broken wood up against the door and protect ourselves. It it was ridiculous, but our brains weren't working. And the bat, on the first whack, split in two and left a long, sharp, stick in my brother's hand as the other part of the bat clunked on the porch boards. Without thinking, I grabbed the bat shard from my brother's hands and stuck the sharp end into the seam between the plywood and the door jamb. I pulled for my life. The sharp end of the bat broke off again. But not before the board had given just enough to jam our fingers into a dark crack. Pull, Joe, I shouted. I'm pulling, I'm pulling, he said. And we heard the squeak of nails being pulled right out of boards. And the plywood came loose with a sound like a tree being split by lightning. And we threw it down with a crash behind us and we tumbled into the jet black of the inside of the cabin. Only it wasn't jet black, not completely. The moon spilled through the silence of the open doorway, and we could make out on the other side of the cabin a flight of stairs leading to what must have been the cabin's attic. And sitting on the stairs, there was a boy. He sat, silver in the moonlight, with his head in his hands, and when we tumbled into the room, He lifted his head suddenly, and he looked right at us. Kid, run, shouted my brother. There's a... But my brother's voice trailed off. The kid on the stairs just looked at us. His face was the saddest face I'd ever seen. Running down his face were the silver tracks of tears. They shone in the moonlight. He sniffed. We had just broken into the room with all this noise and violence, and he just looked at us, as sad as the moon. But as he looked at us, the boy changed. His eyes opened wide, and a kind of smile broke on his face. His shoulders straightened, and as we watched, he stood up, and the silver moonlight on him seemed to get a little brighter. And we realized he wasn't looking at us. He was looking past us. And then we remembered the dog. We turned around in a panic, and there it was the dog was just standing there, standing still in the doorway. And for a second or two, there was no noise at all anywhere in the world. Then the dog took one step toward us and crouched. Our hands went up in defense, and from that crouch, the dog sprang into a long leap right over our heads. It landed right in front of the boy, who had sunk to one knee with his arms outstretched. The dog barreled into him, knocked him right over, and the dog and the boy rolled into a ball, and we thought the kid was a goner. But when, in that ball of dog and boy, we could make anything out in the moonlight, it was that the boy was grinning, and the dog was licking the boy's face. My brother and I looked at each other. My brother's eyebrows were way up at the top of his forehead, and there was a kind of incredulous smile on his face, and I bet I looked the same way. We didn't say anything to each other, just kind of gasped. And then we looked back at the silver dog and the boy, and the room was empty. The light of the harvest moon spilled into the room, and except for my brother and me, the room was empty. That was 40 years ago. I think about it all the time. I have no idea what was going on that night. Maybe there was a kid ghost that lived there and a dog ghost that lived there too, and the putting up of the plywood over the door and the windows separated them somehow in a way that made them miserable until we came along and broke the door open again. If I were to ask my brother what he thought of that, he'd surely say, but they're ghosts, can't they just... Go through stuff like that? I don't know. My brother and I have never talked about it. Not once again in our whole lives. The cabin is completely gone now. The horse pasture is a community park with a soccer field and a playground and picnic pavilions. My childhood home is now owned by someone else. Am I brave enough to survive in a fight between me and a ghost? Well, no ghost has ever tried to fight me, but I've grown up to be just brave enough to not have been licked by anything I've come across yet. But I'm in that childhood neighborhood from time to time, for one reason or another, and I have to admit that when I drive that road past the corner of the community park where the old cabin used to stand, the hair on the back of my neck still begins to prickle And I bet my brother's does, too. Well, that's the story. And like I said, I made it up. I thought it would be fun to tell a ghost story, and I thought it might be fun if a ghost story happened to me and my brother. But there are a lot of things in the story that are true. For example, the old cabin where the ghosty part of the story takes place really was down the street from our house, and we really were kind of scared of that place. There's nothing wrong with making up stories. If you make up a good ghost story featuring the people you love, I'd love to hear it. But I bet they'd love to hear it even more.
7: The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the
3: Appleseed.
1: Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. It's been my pleasure to be here in uh, behind the desk for a little talk back about Charlotte Blake Alston's terrific story, uh, Takane the Brave, and, of course, Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley, our producers. Thanks so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. There's a lot coming up on The Apple Seed. We're sharing stories about being in over your head today on The Applesea. And the thing is, sometimes when you're in over your head, you find out just how brave you can be. And so it is with the squirrel in this original radio drama, cooked up just for the Applesea. The squirrel's name is Sam, and her adventure begins right now.
0: I'm Autumn the orangutan. Welcome to the San Fernando Zoo. People and persons of all sizes and shapes come here to see our habitats at home. Our bananas are pretty good too. The San Fernando Zoo is full of tales. And not just the tales of animals, but tales about animals. Although I suppose some of the tales about animals also involve the tales of animals. <laughs> oh, anyway, back to the stories. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this exciting adventure of two flying squirrels on the verge of growing up.
6: Sam! Hurry! We're going to be late. Quit jumping, Jack. You're going to bounce me right out of the tree. Sorry, I'm just so excited. We're two years old. We finally get to see the shiny and taste the drink inside. <gasps> we'll be grown-ups. Are you ready? All right. All right, I'm ready. Great, let's go. Jack. I'm going.
3: <laughs> Ugh, always jump first and think later. I still get nervous jumping into the air. It seems safer to keep my feet planted on solid branch. Okay.
6: One, two, three! (laughs) Sam, you made it! Aw, was
7: little Sammy scared to jump off her branch? (laughs) Uh, Seth,
6: leave her alone.
7: She's a glider afraid to glide, but maybe you were too dumb to
3: notice that Jack... Jack's not dumb, and I'm not afraid. I'm just cautious. Look before you leap as a squirrel saying for a reason. Whatever you
7: say, scaredy squirrel girl, I still think there should be some kind of gliding test before you can taste the shiny. Then you'd never get to be a grown-up. I'm good at gliding. I just I start slow sometimes. That's okay then. You'll just always be in last place, and I'll make sure you never forget it, even when we're grown-ups. See you later, little Sammy scared
3: squirrel girl.
6: <laughs> what a punk bully.
3: He's right, though. I am scared every time. But you still jump. That kind of means you're brave. Brave... for gliding. That's like saying a fish is brave for swimming. Huh.
6: I hadn't thought... Do you think some fish are afraid of drowning? Let's just get inside.
3: Gather round! Gather round! Welcome,
4: young flying squirrels, to your initiation into adulthood! As you all know, I am Gladys Glider. This year, the shiny is red. It has the word cola on it. And its nectar is a rich brown. By taking a sip, you show that you are ready to become an adult and accept those responsibilities. Are you ready? I'll reveal the shiny in three, two, one. Quiet! (gasps) Quiet, everybody. Calm
7: down. Quiet. What happened to the shiny? It was right here. What to do? If I don't get to taste the nectar, I am going to get really angry. Relax, Seth, my boy. Relax.
6: We'll figure something out. No. I need to be a grown up. Oh, there's always a new shiny eventually. I guess we just wait? That could take forever.
3: I can't be stuck as a little kid, scaredy squirrel girl.
6: Seth would be right. Uh, it's okay to be scared. You'll just have to, uh, learn to ignore Seth forever. That wouldn't be so bad. That sounds pretty bad to me. All right. Well,
4: for now, everybody just return to your homes and- hey,
7: Sam and me will go get a new one. Who said that? Jack? Yeah, right. Only Jack Squirrel is thick enough to think that Scared to Squirrel Sam would leave the habitat. She can barely leave her own branch.
6: <laughs> we can do it.
7: <laughs> now, now, children. Seth is right.
4: It's much too dangerous for you. There are owls out there. You know what those monstrous creatures do to flying squirrels? Everyone, go home.
6: Hey, Sam, are you okay? She said Seth was right. She just meant about going into the zoo, not about everything else. How do you know? Maybe everyone's right and I can't do it. No way. I was serious about what I said earlier. You are brave. Even if you're scared while you're being brave. Okay, sure. I'm brave while I'm scared, and you're smart while you're dumb. I'm not dumb. If you don't believe me when I say we can do it, I'll prove you wrong and do it by myself.
3: Jack, stop! That's not what I meant! Oh man, oh man, what am I gonna do? Jack, slow down! Come back here!
0: And so Sam heads out into the night, hot on the tail of her friend. Before long, she finds herself in the domain of Lumbaba, the king.
3: Jack! I didn't think I'd catch up.
6: You're a fast climber. Well, you can't glide if you never climb.
3: Yeah, yeah, whatever. You proved your point. Okay, we ran around the zoo at night, and we're both still alive. Let's go home.
6: Not until we find a new shiny.
3: Ugh. Where are we anyway?
6: We're right above the lion's den.
3: Lions?
6: Are you crazy? Lumbaba is the king of the zoo. That means he has to help us. I'm gonna go down there and talk to him. Oh man. If I die, I'm gonna kill him. Sam, these lions are huge. I'm smaller than their paws. Are they all asleep? maybe this is my first time in a lion's den whoa do you think lions eat squirrels i think we're too small to even be considered a snack (laughs) i hope you're right i think this one is lumbaba um mr lumbaba sir excuse me mr king hey wake up
4: Who dares to disturb me, Lumbaba, king of the San Fernando Zoo?
6: It, it, it was us, your majesty.
4: And who are you?
6: Uh, a squirrel, your highness, and...
4: I am not to meet with the emissary of the squirrels for a full moon.
6: <gasps> what is the meaning of this? um... <laughs> um
3: Speak! Ugh, uh, d- well, your majesty, our shiny witnessing...
6: Your...
4: And-
3: Shiny? Um, yeah. It's shiny, and it helps us become grown-ups, which is good, and...
4: Depart at once and pray that I do not hold this offense against the entire Flying Squirrel class! Oh,
3: okay, your kingliness, but the shiny... No! Hurry, Sam! Find the rock, quick! Yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming! I think she was gonna eat us.
6: My whole life flashed before my eyes. I was so funny and smart and handsome and I don't want to die. We
3: tried and
6: almost died. Can we just go home? Seth will never believe it. That means other people won't either. You'll still be scared and I'll still be stupid. Forget about him. He's going to keep being a bully no matter what. Wait, wait a second.
3: Jack, let's go Shh, home. look, look, look down See it? See what? Oh,
6: jeez. That's an owl. We gotta get out of here. It's holding something shiny. Oh, yeah, it is. Owls hate squirrels, and we hate them. If we can get the drop on this one and take her shiny, we would be legends. You'd have to be pretty smart and brave to best an owl. Jack, no. It's too dangerous. You followed me. If you're too scared to help now, then don't. If I die, I'm gonna be so mad. What are you doing? Get off of me! You owls stole our shiny and now we're taking yours! Leave me alone! She's trying to fly away! Hold on! We can't let her get away! They warned me about you pesky rats! The owls are
3: the pesky ones! Try to hold on when I do this! Yes. I'm slipping! Sam! I'm all twisted up! If I spread out my fly fur and I'm facing the wrong way, I'll just drop faster! I don't know what to do! Uh, okay, okay, okay! Three, two,
0: one! Sam spreads out her flying fur in the nick of time. Have you heard the saying, out of the frying pan, into the fire? Though she lands safely, Sam has arrived in the proverbial belly of the beast, where she is in real danger of ending up in the actual belly of an actual beast.
3: (sighs) Where am I? It's so warm and and wet. (laughs) Weird, this rock is really warm. Whoa, is it alive? Hello? rock okay so no on the talking rock thing <laughs> that's a relief at least <laughs> oh dumb jack if he'd just listened we'd be safe snuggled up in our own branches right now huh uh th- did that wall just move wait oh it's surrounding me so yeah. a sneaky little
5: thief eh yeah, i
3: Yes, that's
5: kind of my thing as a boa constrictor.
3: B- boa
1: constrictor? Yes, we squeeze oh. until we're ready to eat. But tell me, if you're not a thief, why are you here?
3: I, I don't know! This shiny was lost, and then Jack said I could be brave, and I said he was dumb even though he's my best friend, and everyone laughed and we just wanted everyone to like us, and now I'm gonna- to a snake, and he's gonna die to owls and everyone was right because I failed, and I'm so scared.
5: You don't sound like a thief.
3: What? You're, you're letting me go? You're not gonna eat me?
1: You're just fur and bone. Uh, besides, I'm already full and I'm sleepy. You woke me from a lovely dream.
3: Oh, sorry. Uh. Thanks for not eating me.
1: You're welcome. And, and little one? Yeah. Stop worrying about what everyone else thinks. Normal behavior from little animals is why my belly is full right now.
3: Okay, um, thanks. (laughs) See you around.
1: Better that you don't. I'm usually more cranky when I wake up.
0: Quickly creeping away from the carnivorous constrictor, Sam thinks about the wise words she heard from the silver-tongued serpent. Maybe fitting in isn't all it's cracked up to be. As these thoughts race through her mind, Sam races towards Jack. After all, even if you learn an important lesson, you don't leave your friend with the owls. I made it.
3: They're stuck in that nest. Oh, he looks okay. I'm coming, I'm coming. Ah! Not again. Give me back my friend, you ugly owl. Sam! I'm here, Jackie!
6: I'm saving oh, you. Sam, I'm fine. And oh, I can't me. let go this time. Sam, stop. Stop. Audrey is a friend. What? Turns out we were wrong about owls. The zoo gives them lots of food. They don't want to eat us. But they kidnapped you. Huh. I mean, we did jump on her back. Mm. Sorry about that again, Audrey. It's fine. I get it. I'd be upset about losing a shiny, too. She loves shinies, Sam, just like us. I'm still confused.
3: Everyone said you owls were evil. Ugh. Just because someone or a lot of someone say or think something doesn't make it true. <laughs> People were wrong about me, too. So? Audrey knows about a place with tons of shinies. You know what, Jack? I've doubted you all night. I'm sorry. If you say you know how to get a shiny, I trust you. All right,
6: let's go. Hop on. I'll take you there. Woo! Flying is a lot more fun when the pilot isn't trying to kill you. Yeah. It's
3: nice knowing I won't fall into another boa constrictor.
6: A boa? Dude.
3: Lions, boas, owls. What a night! See those blue bits down there? They're full of shinies. We just grab one? It's that easy?
6: Not tonight. Look, a human. He's gonna take all the Shinies too.
3: We can't sneak past a human.
1: This one's different, watch. What are those horrible
6: noises he's making? Part of Shiny collection ritual?
3: We gotta get one before he takes them all. I'll distract him.
7: You guys grab a shiny and signal me. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty good at this.
3: Thanks, Audrey. And sorry, again.
6: Don't worry about it.
3: I'm just happy to have two new friends.
6: Hey, Sam.
3: Uh, About tonight- I'm sorry I said you were dumb. I was just scared you'd get hurt.
6: Yeah, I know. Thanks, Sam. Sorry I ran out here and put you in danger.
1: Don't worry about it. An
6: owl? How'd
1: you get out of here? Oh, jeez Louise. Come here, pretty owl. Come here, pretty owl. Back your cage.
3: Back your cage. He's distracted. <laughs> Let's go.
6: <laughs> There's a million shinies in here. I died and went to shiny heaven. After this crazy night, maybe we are dead. Yeah, maybe. <laughs>
3: Uh, but let's grab a shiny in case they're still alive. Oh,
2: this one smells really good. Ro roh ra u It says ro to
3: <laughs> OK, grab it real tight. Uh, now we signal. Audrey! <laughs> you guys good? Yeah. Great swooping pickup. Th- there's my branch. They set us down right there. We made it. <laughs> home sweet home.
6: Audrey, you are so great.
3: Hey, so, before we bring this down, should we
6: taste it? I mean, we
4: kinda earned it.
6: (laughs) Oh, you guys feel a good one. Oh, my tongue is on fire with sugar.
3: I guess we're officially grown-ups.
6: That don't feel different.
3: I feel different, but not from drinking this. I've spent so much time worrying about what other people seem to think of me, and now that just seems silly. I feel like a weight has been lifted off me.
6: (laughs) Maybe that weight was why you were scared of gliding.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It probably didn't help.
7: (laughs) Aha! There you are. I knew you dumb, scaredy squirrels were just hiding up here.
3: (laughs) And an owl! There's an owl! That's wait. (laughs) Well, I guess we're all scaredy squirrels sometimes. (laughs) That's okay.
0: And so ends the tale of our two friends, Sam and Jack. Until next time, I'm Autumn the Orangutan. Thank you for visiting the San Fernando
3: Zoo.
1: Oh, hey, a can of cola. Pesky flying squirrels must have snuck it into their habitat, and then it fell out the back. Oh well, at least I found it. (sighs) Then I'm I won, and it's that way. Mm -hmm. San Fernando, The Shiny, an original audio drama about a squirrel who learns that when she's in over her head, she really has the courage to come through it all with flying colors. If you sometimes feel like you're in over your head, hang in there. You're not alone in how you feel, and chances are you're going to make it through. And don't be afraid to ask for help, help from parents and teachers, help from friends, and help from your higher power. Don't be afraid to ask for help from above when you need it. It's been a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. Find us online at byuradio.org or by Googling The Appleseed Podcast or by downloading the BYU Radio app. And if you're listening to the podcast now, be sure to like us and leave us a review. It helps folks find the show. The Appleseed is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again. Join me, won't you?